This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. Okay, I want to just uh, first thank you, Facebook, for tuning in on Facebook Live. Maybe you're joining us on uh, our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC. Maybe you're listening to the Dominion Church podcast experience. However you're joining us, we're thankful that you're a part of what we're doing here at Dominion. Now, I want to encourage you, if you will, go ahead and like and share this now. Uh, and if you'll do that, that'll help us be a blessing to as many people as possible, because that's ultimately what this is about. We want other people to hear the goodness of God. You know, I was just trying to think about our heart as a ministry, just how can we boil it down and condense it into one thought? And for me, it was, we want to bless as many people as possible with the gospel of the kingdom and righteous identity as sons and daughters of the king. Uh, and so from there, there's so many different offshoots and offsprings with boiled down. That's really what my heart, our focus is as a ministry. Uh, and so again, I just want to encourage you, if this is a blessing to you, liking it and sharing it, uh, that really goes a long way. Uh, so we are here in the middle of a series that we started last Sunday called When They Gathered when they gathered. And I, I can't do a, a, a long recap of last week. I'd encourage you to go back and watch it on our Facebook uh, page or on a YouTube channel on the podcast experience. But I do want to mention just these two verses. These are kind of kind of serve as the foundational verses that we're going to be teaching from and, 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 and all that. So John 17, 11, of course, I love this one. I, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. This is Jesus praying. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So this is the Lord's prayer. You know, I taught this last week, you know, classically in our theology training and our, in our Bible school training, you know, we're, we're told the Lord's prayers, you know, the disciples are talking about, okay, Lord, how should we pray? And he says, well, when you pray, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. Do you guys know that prayer? So that technically is not the Lord's prayer. That's the Lord telling his disciples, when you pray, you pray this way. But John 17, this is the prayer of Jesus. I want them to be one. Who's them? Well, of course, them, he's talking about his disciples. He's talking about those that will follow him, but he's also by extension talking about us, his family. I want them to be one, even as you and I are one. So the question that we must ponder throughout this series, how unified are the father and the son? Completely unified. Jesus even said it this way. I don't do anything unless I see the father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear the father say it. I mean, that's, that's some serious unity. And then Psalm 133, beautiful psalm. You know, you, you, you could each commit this to memory. The psalm's only three verses long. That's the entire psalm. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. 
So there is indeed a place of commanded blessing. And it's where brothers dwell together in unity. I love the thought, so I'll continue to repeat it. That word, commanded blessing, it's the same word used for when a general commands his troops. If you want to find yourself in a place of being relentlessly assaulted by blessing, then you've got to find how to be in unity with the family of God. <laughs> you want to talk about blessing chasing you down? Listen, the, the, the only real requirement for the blessing to chase you down is just this. You've got to make sure that you're in unity with your brothers. And before we turn that act of unity into something we must do, I want to gently remind us, but we still need to be reminded, that none of us are anointed to create unity. We can maintain unity, but unity is delivered to us by the ministry, by the person of Jesus. And so for you to have a hope of walking in unity, it's an extension of who Jesus is. Uh, and I'm not knocking prayer, breakfast, and all that, but it's going to take more than pastors getting together and having breakfast. That's not going to cause unity to happen. Unity is cooperating with what Jesus has provided as the anointed one. I can't, I can't go back and all that. Go and listen to last week. Jesus is the singular anointed one. But from his anointed headship, he anoints his corporate body. So when we talk about anointing, like so many things in the kingdom of God, anointing is not a what. Anointing is a who. And his name is Jesus. All the, all the anointing that any one of us can carry individually, it pales in comparison to the, unit, the, the anointing that we can experience in, in a corporate body, in a unified body. There's more anointing on all of us than there can ever be on any one of us. But all that being said and done, where does that anointing originate from? It all finds its genesis in the person of Jesus. He is the anointed one, the head. So in this second session, so the first session we laid some foundation. The second session, I want to look at some of the characteristics of what it looks like when we gather. When we gather. Some of it will be review, and that's just naturally how this is going to go. There's going to be some overlap. But I want to touch on some instances, some, some places to look at in Scripture where we talk about gathering. So last week we, we looked at different uh, places where there was gathering in both the Old and the New Testament. The concept of gathering, the concept of unity is not different based on testament. The big difference in terms of the Old Covenant and New Covenant, or better covenant, is that there is no church verbiage until the other side of the work of the cross. So in the Old Testament, we can see gatherings like at the Tabernacle of Moses, when the nation of Israel would assemble and gather together. We can see corporate worship gatherings at the Tabernacle of David, or corporate gatherings at Solomon's Temple. But all of a sudden, on the other side of the work of the cross, we're told, listen, we're two or three gathered together in my name. I'm there. You don't need a giant temple. You don't need a tabernacle. Why? Because there's been a temple shift. Now you are the temple. Come on, you are the temple. The temple not made with human hands, and it's the delight of God to dwell in you. Amen? I can hear myself preaching. Come on, that's good stuff. <laughs> God is good. And he, listen, he dwells in us. So if you can hear this, don't run from this. The spirit of unity dwells in you. That's why I want to challenge you again. It's not something you create. It's something you maintain. None of us have to carry the burden of trying to figure out how to make unity happen. No, what you just have to do is cooperate with the river of unity, cooperate with he who is the anointed one. 
And you're going to find a place to connect. You're going to find people to unify with. Now, when we get there, there's some things that have to start happening, and that's what we're going to jump into. First, I want to give a peculiar example of a way to not be unified. And I know that's a risk. We're going to start with the way to not be unified. Genesis 11, there's, there's an account that we are given, and it's around an interesting structure. This structure is called the Tower of Babel. You guys, you, I'm sure you learned that from Sunday school, right? The Tower of Babel. And so what we're told in just my overview paraphrase is that everyone had one mind, one sense of unity, and in that place of unity, this is their desire, we will build a structure, we will build a tower that will reach into the heavenlies, that will reach into the presence of God, basically. Now, first of all, if you just want to take this very literally, their heart's desire was pure nonsense. Okay? Because first of all, you don't build up into the heavens. Now, if you think about their, perhaps the Hebraic understanding, they were probably thinking of the firmament. The firmament, they believe, is a place just above the clouds. And they believe just above the clouds was the heavenly realm. Now, we know that's not the case. Heaven is a spiritual place. It's not a geographical location. Aren't you glad that one day you don't have to get an airline ticket that's going to have to take you 10 billion miles to a galaxy in the middle of nowhere so you can finally find that place that we call heaven? So again, they're trying to build a tower into the heavenlies, into the presence of God. Listen, do you guys understand? God could have just let them do their work. Because at that time, they did not have understanding of altitude. They did not have understanding of uh, as oxygen would get thin. How would they? He could have just let them build until they started passing out. They never would have made it past a certain point. But the point was not that they were building a tower. The point was they were in unity with the wrong spirit. They wanted to do something that was not ordained by he who is the anointed one. So I want to say that up front. And again, I know it's a risk. There are times we have to be careful. We must guard against being unified for the wrong cause. <laughs> and I could give many more examples. There's lots of historical examples. As a matter of fact, some of the worst examples that, that can come to mind are when people unify for a horrific cause. Now, oftentimes, sadly, they feel justified in their unity. But nevertheless, unity is powerful. Whether God ordained or not, unity is a powerful force. But how much more powerful is it when the body of Christ reflecting the character and nature of Jesus begins to work together. Wow. Because that's the place of commanded blessing. We covered that in Psalm. So apparently, just being in unity is not necessarily the place of commanded blessing. No, it's when you come to that place of commanded blessing and it's like what? It's likened to the oil that flows. Come on. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the indwelling Christ. That's the place. You come on, you get together in unity that's the place of commanded blessing. Ephesians chapter 5, I love this. So, so we get this, this, these snapshots, this insight into some of the activity of the early church. In Ephesians 5, it says that when, you, we, when we would come together, it says that this is how we regard one another, with songs, with hymns, with spiritual songs. And that's how, we'd come, that's how we would communicate with one another. 
Now, this is a rhetorical question, and perhaps someone on Facebook or YouTube can answer this. When's the last time you came into a corporate gathering and you came ready for a song for someone? <laughs> a spiritual song. Maybe that's, okay, maybe let's not do that. You're, you're probably thinking, well, I can't sing. Well, how about an encouragement for someone? I mean, you literally came with that intention. You know what? On the way over here, I was praying, and I want to make sure I'm going to bless Joanne. When I see her, I'm going to bless her. Because we begin to find out one of the hallmarks of unity is intentionality. Now, fair enough, there are times where we can come into the place of a corporate anointing, and all of us from time to time are able to coast on that. Why? Because again, that principle holds true. There's more anointing on all of us than there could ever be on any one of us. How many of you guys are like me? You've had a time on a bad Sunday or a bad service where you walk in and you are pretty sure that you have nothing to contribute to the environment. But you walk out blessed. You walk out encouraged. Why? It wasn't because of you. It was because the corporate anointing has a way of sweeping us up as it should. But there has to come a place in our journey where we no longer only make withdrawals on that anointing, but we come ready to give into that anointing. I want to be an active part of the corporate anointing. I want to be an active part of the place of commanded blessing. Acts chapter 2. Come on, now this is some beautiful stuff here. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We'll look at these first verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The name of this series, When They Gathered. They were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So rightfully so, and, and, and it's a beautiful, you know, when we're speaking on this, especially on Pentecost Sunday, every preacher worth his salt is preaching on Pentecost. But if we're not careful, we miss part of the, the, what lent itself to this environment. There was a corporate gathering. They came together with expectation. They gathered, if you go, and again, you, you look at the admonition of Jesus, the director, they were gathering in obedience. I feel like nobody wants to hear this, Miss Flora. Nobody wants to hear someone get up and say, you know what, perhaps part of the key to your success is if you just come together in obedience and come together with expectation that you might see something happen you haven't seen before. But in our culture of convenience, most of us, we're willing to tune out for just about anything, just about any reason. I think I shared this last Sunday, and it's just humorous. That's why it is fresh in my mind. Uh, I was going through uh, a, one of our storage units, and I came across a 2006 calendar. And in 2006, we had 15 events in that one month. 15 events as a ministry. And I, and I tell you, and, and I'm just, I'm telling you, I know I was at all 15 of those meetings. I, I know. And, and hearing that, some of you even streaming and stuff, you might think, man, that's crazy. It is kind of crazy. Because right now, what we, as a ministry, and as, as part of just, you know, we're sharing this facility, we're working with another church, so we don't have free reign of what we do here. Our busiest months 
have five meetings, five. And for a lot of times, it's hard for most of us to make those five, right? Now, again, that's not condemnation. It's just saying it's interesting how quickly things can change. Because there are many months where 15 was a slow calendar. We had years as a ministry where we did every Friday night, every Sunday, and then we had Bible college Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays. Before long, you realize your life was work and church. <laughs> but you know what? There were moments of glory in all that. Now, did it necessarily take all that? No. But you know what began to happen? People started coming with expectation. And for some people, it was just an act of obedience. Let's not forget that. I know obedience sounds like a bad word. And, and if we're not careful, a lot of people say, well, pastor, don't manipulate me. Listen, obedience is not manipulation. Come on, when we're trying to train our kids to obey, do we call that manipulation? No, we call it trying to grow up and mature. We want to spare them some things that otherwise would be hardship for them. I just want to encourage you there. What, what, what happened in this gathering in Acts chapter 2? First, they obeyed the command of the Lord. Go to this place and wait. They did. Secondly, there was anticipation. Wow. Let's look at this in verse 42. So same chapter, Acts chapter 2. We started it in 1 through 4. Amazing things. Spirit has come. Pentecost Sunday. But then look at this in verse 42. So just read down a couple verses. Verse 42. Look at these earmarks. Look at these identifiers of what is happening in the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there are four things I want to look at there for a moment. Number one, this is what began to happen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, of course, any leader, they, of course, we're going to focus on that first of all, right? We're going to, we got two. So Dominion, you need to focus on the apostles' teaching. Now, that's not... A, that's not exactly how it translates. We know what they're teaching. They're teaching the gospel of the kingdom. They're teaching the gospel of Christ. So it's not Matthew's gospel. You guys get that. It's not Matthew's quote-unquote teaching. It's any gospel that reflects the character and nature of Jesus. We devote ourselves to it. Okay? So it's, again, it's not Matthew's gospel. I'm saying that as the, the senior leader of this house. I'm not saying for you that are a part of dominion, devote yourself to my gospel. I'm saying devote yourself to the gospel. And if you need help, we'll help you discover what the gospel is. And it's a, it's a little more complex. That doesn't mean it's difficult, but it is complex. I believe there are seven primary facets to the gospel. It's not just about getting saved. Come on, it, it's about growing up. It's about maturing as a son. It's about reflecting the character and nature of Jesus. Well, I can't go into it tonight. So look, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Paul's right there. Most pastors would preach this also. Come on, come and listen to me preach, and please come be a part of the church. Now, that word fellowship is not actually talking about the ecclesia. It's talking about that they devoted themselves to the caring for one another. To the sharing of life to one, for one another. Continue. To the breaking of bread. Guys, the unity that we see the early church devoting itself to is about living life together. 
A lot of times I hear, I've heard ministers say all the time, and I've even wanted it for, my, for my, our own ministry and my own heart, Lord, we want to see what the church in Acts saw. And then the Holy Spirit's quick to remind you, we got to do what the church of Acts did if you want to see what they saw. Well, what does that mean? Most of us can roll with, well, I'll listen to my pastor preach. Most of us will roll with, I'll try to be a part of the church. But then all of a sudden, the challenge is you've got to learn how to live life together. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's a little different. Because it's not about a service. It's not about necessarily the corporate gathering. It's about you making time to get to know your brothers and sisters on your own terms. It's about come over, have lunch, come over, let the kids play together, come over, share time with me. Oh. And prayer. They were praying together, bearing one another. Man, it's just a beautiful thing. And look at this, verse 43, and awe, A-W-E, awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Do you see that? Now, we don't use that verbiage of temple really anymore. You could call that your local church. They're coming to the local corporate gatherings. And when they're finished with their gatherings, look at that. They're breaking bread in their own homes. In other words, the fellowship does not stop when you walk out that door. The fellowship, the the nature of it shifts. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Come on, we want to see a local ministry grow. Right here's the recipe for how it works. This is the recipe. It's when we share life together and we invite people into that community. I'm convinced one of the strongest and most valid forms of modern day evangelism is not inviting someone to say a sinner's prayer before we've invited them into a community of believers. In other words, listen, we have plenty of time to pray. We have plenty of time for you to believe this, that, and the other. We just want you to come into an environment where you know that you're loved. We want you to come into an environment where your doubt over time can be erased. When's the last time we approached evangelism that way? Hey, why don't you come be a part of a local house? Because I listen, you, you will love it. We will have fun together. We will break bread together. We will encourage you. Man, it'd be hard to stop people from coming, right? Okay. So then I've got, I've got to get on this. We're going to shift gears for a moment just here in our last few minutes together. Exodus chapter 30, and I'm going to read these out of the Message Bible. I want to talk about the anointing oil. This is the oil that it was instructed unto Moses for him to use when we first see the tabernacle of Moses being constructed. And the reason the tabernacle of Moses is so unique is it's the very first time that God ever gives instructions for a place, a, a physical natural dwelling that he's willing to hang out with to commune with his people. 
Now, again, for those of you that have gone through some of the better covenant teaching that we've gone through here in the house, Exodus 30 is, is long after the, the laws, well, not long after, but it's several chapters after the law has been given. And so in this place of the law, this is where God wants to commune intimately with his people and the nation of Israel rejects that offer. And so then we begin to see, okay, the Lord is still trying to interject his character and nature, still trying to figure out, okay, how will people relate to me? That's, that's what God is interested in. He wants his people to relate to him. And so the tabernacle of Moses is the first experiment. We know, it, we know it's not the only one, and it's not the lasting one. Because after the tabernacle of Moses came the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David was a little more accurate for what God intended, because it was open access and it was basically extravagant pageantry and praise and worship is what it basically was. Solomon's temple was beautiful in its edifice, but ultimately still not God, what God was interested in. He wants to have a temple, we're the temple, not made with human hands. He finally found the place that he always wanted to call home, and it's you. Come on, that's good news on Valentine's Day. So again, back to Exodus 30, we start talking about the anointing oil. And man, there's some beautiful things for us to draw from this when we talk about the corporate anointing, when we talk about the power of unity, when we talk about, in this series, when they gathered. So Exodus 30, verses 22 through 25, God spoke to Moses, take the best spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, that's a lot of myrrh, half that much, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cane, or we would say calamus, is what it says in your, your Bible. Twelve and a half pounds of cassia, using the standard sanctuary weight for all of them. And a gallon of olive oil. The olive oil is the binder that brings it all together. Make these into a holy anointing oil. A perfumer's skillful blend. I love in the King James Version it says... Uh, the art of the apothecary. The art of the apothecary. And so then if you look in verses 30 through 33, it begins to show how this oil is applied. And I don't have the proper verse pulled up here. You guys just give me a, a moment. Uh, but in that, uh, the verses there that follow, well, I can just, I can do it from memory. There's an admonition there. It basically goes this way. This is my paraphrase. If anyone makes the anointing oil like this, even if it's by accident, destroy what they make and exile them. And it's like, man, that's so peculiar. Why would, why would God put that? Why is that in there? And I believe part of what is being communicated is more of a spiritual principle. Because there's authentic anointing, and then there's anointing that may look and smell kind of like it's the anointing, but it's not the real thing. Uh, we could also call it this. Anytime there's authentic fire, strange fire tries to follow it, right? And so I love that, that, okay, this is, this is exactly how this oil is supposed to be made. This is how it's going to smell. This is how it's going to feel. And if anyone even accidentally stumbles on this formula, kick them out. We don't need anyone in here trying to manufacture the anointing oil. Come on now. Unfortunately, in so much of the church today, we have gifted ministers that know how to manufacture anointing. <sighs> but it's more of the anointing of the vial and not the anointing of the ram's horn. Somebody needs to hear this. This isn't in my notes, but you, know, you think about the way that King Saul was anointed versus the way that King David was anointed. 
Saul, the head and shoulders man, the man that men elected as king. It says that he was anointed with a vial. A vial is man-made. And it's not a great amount of oil that goes into a vial. And they anointed him with that vial. David was anointed by the ram's horn. The ram's horn is not made by the hands of men. It's made by the hands of God. And the ram's horn holds a lot of oil. That's again why we see the picture of the place of commanded blessing. When it talks about the oil that goes on the head and flows down the beard, that is what anoint, being anointed looks like in Scripture. We don't do that much in church anymore. Part of that's because it would ruin the carpet. Once oil gets in the carpet, it never gets out, ever. One time, one time years ago, we had someone who was being uh, uh, ordained by dad wanted to be anointed with a ram's horn. You know what? He brought his own tarp. Thank you, Jesus. Because, guys, it is a messy ordeal. Because you never think that oil is going to stop flowing. Now, again, while that's humorous, it's also a picture of just how anointed we are as the corporate body of Christ. But the anointing always flows down. And that's not about a system of hierarchy among men. It's about the system of Christ being the head and then us being the corporate body. How anointed is Jesus? The anointing flows from the head, down the beard, all the way down to the, 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 the ends of his garment. There's no place in your life that's not anointed by Christ who is the head. You can't run from it. When it's said and done, you've got oil all over you. It's in places you didn't think the oil would get to. <laughs> you got to go home. You got to change. You probably have to throw away those clothes because you're never going to get the oil out of them. You're going to have to bathe and shower trying to get that oil off. That's what I'm talking about. It's consuming. It's drenching. <laughs> I don't know how I got off on all that. There's a manufactured anointing. And if we're not careful, the vial is the symbol of the manufactured anointing. The horn is the symbol of authentic anointing. That's the point I was trying to make. So when we look at this, let's go back to that thought for a moment. We've got to make sure that the art of the apothecary comes into play. What is the art of the apothecary? Come on, we're talking about what unity looks like. What are the four primary ingredients of that oil? We have myrrh, sweet cinnamon, calamus, and cassia. You could go and break each one down. Myrrh actually means bitter. Now, I'm not, I don't want to point anyone out or ask what you identify with, but I just think it's humorous. All of us find our place somehow with one of these components of oil. Okay? <laughs> myrrh. Myrrh is an Arabic word meaning bitter. The highly valued aromatic gum resin of myrrh has a bitter, pungent taste, but a sweet, pleasing aroma. Interesting. Cinnamon has a natural sweet taste. You don't even have to add sugar to cinnamon, and cinnamon already has a sweetness to it. And actually, cinnamon can satisfy the sweet tooth all by itself. Calamus, the fragrance of the oil is light and sweet, but at the same time, it's a little nutty. You guys okay? <laughs> it's a little nutty. It's a little bitter. Herbal and astringent with an odor that is hard to describe in terms of other things because it is so unique. 
And then finally, cassia. Cassia is an aromatic bark similar to cinnamon, but, all, but differs in strength and quality. A lot of people uh, call it like the imposter cinnamon. It smells almost identical, but the taste and the color are different. So you have these four primary ingredients. If you just threw these ingredients raw into a bowl, there will be no anointing oil to speak of. You will have odd fragmented pieces and parts floating around in a bowl of olive oil. But what has to happen? You have to employ the art of the apothecary. What's the art of the apothecary? Are you guys ready for some heavy revelation? He takes a stone, he takes a vessel, and he begins to smear and press and grind all those ingredients into each other. And he grinds and grinds and presses and presses until you can't tell what is myrrh and what is cinnamon and what is cassia and what is calamus. They all begin to lose their singular identity as they become part of the corporate. Come on, God. This is why, said and done, so many of us have a problem with unity. Because unity means I have to get pressed into somebody that I may not want to be pressed into. I don't know if I like them. I don't know if I will even get along with them. They smell differently than I do. They taste differently. Than, they act differently than I do. And then the hand of God has the nerve to start pressing you into them. And then we resist, and it's painful. Come on, that, when those things grind into one another, come on, guys, this is what unity looks like. But you're anointed for it. Don't run from it. You're anointed for it. And you get pressed into it. And then before long, you begin to realize, well, hey, I'm a little bitter, so I need some of that cinnamon. Come on. I'm a little nutty, so I, I need some balance. Are you guys okay? I, okay, I, I'm strong. To I mean, when someone comes and they take a smell of me, you guys realize what we're talking about here. We're talking about your your the, the anointing you carry. Come on, the very there there are different attributes of the character of Christ that you wear it well. You carry it well. Come on, you represent King Jesus well, but you need your brother who also represents the Lamb. Well, I don't want to be ground into the Lamb because I want to roar like the lion. Yeah, well, you, we need each other. Because it's in that place that blessing is commanded. It's in that place, that's, that, that anointing that flows from that place, it brings healing to the nations. But we have to be willing to be pressed into one another by the hand of Christ who is the anointed one. He is the skillful apothecary. And as he grinds us into one another, we begin to see reflected some of the things I mentioned in the book of Ephesians and the book of Acts, that when we come together, we come with expectation. Because this is not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. But it's about us in the context of him being the head. Because even being about us is not enough if it's not us with him being the head. Because that's healthy us. 
Come on, that's glorious us. That's anointed us. You know, I mentioned in the last session, we'll wrap it up. You know, all those things in the hall of faith where we see that Moses did all these things by faith. It was all about him, him, him. But as soon as they had to cross the Red Sea, it became about them. There are some places your faith can get you to, but it will never get you through unless you have someone else with you. The faith of him has to become the faith of them. And if I can, in these last moments, as your pastor, I'd like to think I've got a lot of faith. But said and done, there are places that we can't get through unless we do it together. So never think for a moment that I don't need you. I do. Especially in the moments, because it's true of me, it's true of you as well, Especially in those moments where you're pretty sure you can do it by yourself. That's when we need the grace to still allow others to help us. And then we find out, you know what? I had no idea what I was talking about. I had no idea what it's going to require. It's going to take all of us. And to, to not only be okay with that, it's not just about being okay with it. It's about understanding this is what we were born for. Even Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, meant to be surrounded the vine meant to be surrounded. Jesus himself is not a singular ministry, but a corporate ministry. Jesus invites us to be a part of his ongoing work as the corporate body of Christ. We got to figure out how to model that in every local church, every local community of faith. That is what Jesus is after. He wants us to duplicate the pattern that he's laid out. This is what unity looks like. But it is painful. It's just like the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the, the olive garden where Jesus was pressed on all sides. That was the place of his pressing. For a lot of us, we, we're all getting pressed together. We all got to go into that place where we're pressed. But look at what happens. The anointing that we carry becomes relevant. It becomes evident. It becomes pronounced. And then we begin to find the very thing that we have as one person has been withheld from us together is delivered to us. The place of commanded blessing. So Lord, we just thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you for this reminder of what, what the anointing we carry looks like. And we trust you as the skillful apothecary taking each one of us, you know who we need in our lives. You know what we're lacking. You know what we, what we must be pressed into for that place of commanded blessing to begin to flow. The truth is that for each one of us, there is that, that moment of panic where I'm beginning to lose who I am in all this. And to an extent, that's true. To an extent, when it's said and done, this is about a corporate body, not a single person. And Lord knows the church has had to fight against that paradigm for so long. But I want to decree and declare, as I have many times before, the day of the one-man show is over. Because there's no one man that can carry the anointing that God has called us to as a corporate body.
So Holy Spirit, we submit to your skillful hands. We submit to the ministry of the skilled apothecary and we say, have your way. Knowing that even in that declaration of faith, it's an invitation for discomfort. That you're gonna have to be pressed into some people it's going to challenge some of your paradigms. It's going to challenge some of your relational um, sensibilities. You're going to have to get to know people in a new way. But said and done, it's going to answer a part of your life that's been missing, and you're going to return the favor. You're also going to answer a part in their life that's been missing. And together, we will see the Christ, the anointed head, manifest through Christ, the anointed body. Lord, I just thank you for all these things now. I decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks so much for joining us on our stream. Again, if this has blessed you, please like it and share it. There's also a link on the title of this video. If you'd like to support the ministry financially, uh, we gladly accept that as well. But I pray that you have an amazing week. If you need anything from us, reach out to us. Send us a message through our direct message, and we will certainly get back to you. God bless you guys. We love you. Have an amazing week.